0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament, chapter 3, Malachi chapter number 3. We're in a series entitled Great Expectations. Today is the last day of it. And so far we have, uh, we have taken a look at several expectations of you and I as church members. First, we said that church members, we church members are expected to regularly and frequently attend worship and participate in that worship. Second, we said that church members should have realistic expectations of each other, Not expect too little, but not expect too much. Third, we said church members should be on board with the church's vision, embracing it, helping the church to accomplish it. And fourth, we said that church members need to get connected in a small group within the church. If you're not in a small group, if I'm not in a small group, I'm really not connected to the church at all. I'm just barely hanging on. So it's, in, it's important to be a part of a small group. So this morning we're going to talk about another great expectation, and tonight we'll, we'll look at the final one. For those of us who are here at evening service, some of you will be at home groups, and some of you will be at home asleep and ought to be at home groups or either evening service. So um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be praying for you all about that. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 8. Will a mere mortal rob God? Is it possible for you to rob God? You have robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. So bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. It's the only place where God in Scripture says, you can go ahead test me on it. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not drop their fruit before the fruit is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're reminded this morning that giving is at the very foundation of your character. The most memorized verse in all the Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Because you loved us so much, you gave the very best you had. And Lord, if giving is in the foundation of your character, then you expect it in the foundation of ours. Your word has much to say about giving. We don't like to hear it. I don't like to preach it. But it is your word, and whether we like it or not, and whether a preacher likes to preach it or not, your word is the only thing that is worth preaching during a worship service. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through us this morning. And I pray that everyone in this room will still their hearts enough that we'll all be open to what you have to say to us about giving. Lord, we pray for people who are needing our prayers I pray for Pam Emerson, Jim, their family, as Pam lost her dad this week. I continue to pray for the family of Cheyenne Hurd. I pray for Mike Laster, for Lawson Sayer and his dear wife and their family, for Dick Peek, for Ed Johnson, for Sarah Peek, for Charlie Pace and Clyde Taylor and Dot Bates and Marie Glish and Mr. Jim Barfield. Lord, I pray for our church. These are some of the best of times, and yet they're some of the toughest. And certainly these are the times that try our souls. But I pray, Lord, that once you have tried us and we have submitted to your trial, that we will come out reflecting your image because your image is the only image worth reflecting, and we bring this prayer to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. In my previous church one Sunday morning, there was a husband and wife who attended church. Uh, we were thrilled to see them, just like here at Palmetto Baptist, we're always thrilled to see any of the folks who come and visit with us, and uh, worship with us as our guest. We appreciate you very much. But this couple came to my previous church, and they sat through uh, the worship service. And the following week, I was asking someone who knew this couple about them, and and I was told that uh, upon hearing my sermon that Sunday morning, that the husband said that he would never set foot in that church again. And he didn't. That Sunday morning was the first And last time that he ever came to our church. And when I asked why, they said, well, uh, you preached a sermon on money, on giving that Sunday morning, and that man has always said, in fact, it had been several years since he'd been to church for this very same reason, that man had always said that if he ever went to church and the preacher got up and preached on money, he would never set foot in that particular church again, and he stayed sure to his word. It bothered me, but then I got to thinking this man wouldn't, uh, wouldn't come to where Jesus was preaching again either because the Bible tells us that Jesus, uh, he put a premium on giving. In fact, if you look at the Gospels and you were to analyze them, one out of every six verses in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are on giving. Larry Burkett, the late founder and president of Christian Financial Concepts in Gainesville, Georgia, uh, once said that one third of all of Jesus' parables dealt with a person and his or her money. So Jesus dealt with financial stewardship. In fact, it might surprise some of us. It certainly surprised me when I first heard it and had to go back and check it. Jesus preached on money more than he preached on love. He preached on money more than he preached on heaven and hell combined. Isn't that unusual? He did. It tells us not that money is necessarily more important than heaven, but it does tell us the importance that Jesus placed on the issue of money. The Old Testament begins very early with the subject of offerings. Genesis chapter 4, we're barely four chapters into uh, the Scriptures before we have uh, the first murder. And did you know that first murder was committed over a disagreement over offerings? How about that? And we think we have fights in Baptist churches. What about that? The Bible says that... Cain and Abel were called upon to offer offerings to the Lord. They did. God accepted, received Abel's offering, rejected Cain's offering, and in his anger, Cain rose up and killed his brother over it. Not too many chapters later, Abraham, in chapter 14 of Genesis, is told that his nephew Lot has been invaded, his city has been invaded, and Lot and his family have been carried away captives. And so Abraham gathered a bunch of men, fighting men, and went after them to rescue them. They defeated the kings and the armies who had captured Lot and his family, and they they uh, rescued Lot and his family. And Abraham took the, the 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 booty that was left, and he came back. And on the way back home, he met a priest named Melchizedek. And the Bible says that Abraham gave a tenth or a tithe of everything he had to Melchizedek because Melchizedek said it was the Lord who gave you this victory. In the churches where I grew up in uh, North Georgia, the preachers never preached about giving. My dad has been... uh, he he began preaching in 1964. He's pastoring a little church up near Lula, Georgia today, and he's pastored, I don't know, 11 or 12 churches. I lost count. My dad has never, has never preached a sermon on giving. And none of the preachers I grew up with, uh, preached sermons on giving. It wasn't because they didn't believe in giving so much as it was because uh, most of their sermons were salvation sermons. If you go up to those churches, and they're great churches, uh, salt of the earth people, most of the sermons are salvation sermons, and those preachers are afraid of being misunderstood by their listeners into thinking that if you give money, you can earn your salvation. And so they were so sensitive to that potential misunderstanding that they didn't preach and don't preach about money at all. And so I think it's important when we think about what the Bible says about giving and about money and about financial stewardship, that we not only look at what the Bible says giving is, but we we also weed out what giving is not. So let let me start there, okay? What giving is not? First of all, giving is not a way to salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul tells us, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Salvation is a free gift of God. There's no amount of money that we can give to earn our salvation. So anyone who thinks that they can be saved by giving money or anything else is mistaken. mistaken. Giving is not a way to salvation. Second, giving is not something to be neglected as if it is not important. A lot of times we just neglect the issue of giving. And and we pastors and preachers are notorious uh, uh, of doing that. I know I am simply because, and maybe it's because of the influence of uh, the pastors and the preachers where I grew up. I just rarely preach on money. I don't like to. Uh, Sometimes we have to. But if the Word of God deals with giving and money, and Jesus spent one out of every six verses talking about money, and if literally one-third of his parables spoke about money, then I think maybe we preachers better get on board with Jesus' vision about financial stewardship. Jesus talked about money. In Mark chapter 12... Verses 41 through 44, Jesus actually did something that I don't encourage anybody here to do. He sat in the worship service, in the worship service with his disciples, and you know what he was doing? You know what he was doing? He was watching what people were putting into the offering plate. And how would you like that? How would you like that if if when we take the offering a little bit later, the ushers come by and the plate goes by you and there's somebody behind you and you see, you just kind of feel their breath on your neck and you turn around. They're looking to see what the amount of the check was you put in that that, uh, plate or how many dollars you put in that plate. Jesus was doing that. Mark 12 verse 41 says, And he sat down opposite the treasury and he began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. I know a lot of people who love this story because they say, hey, the person that Jesus commended was a person who only put in a couple of pennies. I know a lot of folks who love that, but they're not listening to the whole part. He calling his disciples to him, he said to them, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury because they put in a percentage of their surplus, but she... Put in everything she had. I've never seen anybody do that in church of you. Yeah, I've been watching y'all how much you put in there. Not really. I don't know what you put in, but I know I can tell by the fact that y'all are here and you drove a car in here, you didn't put in everything. I'm not asking you to put in everything, but she did. And it and it tells us that Jesus did not neglect the giving behavior of, of the people in the temple. Number three, giving is not Relegated only to the Old Testament. I hear people from time to time say, well, you know, giving, the command to give is Old Testament. In New Testament, we're under grace, and so there's not this command to uh, give a certain percentage. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that reveals a, uh, an ignorance of the Scriptures, to be honest with you. It's, it's, everybody agrees that the tithe is commanded in the Old Testament, but listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23. He's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees loved to give their tithes, but then they didn't treat the poor right. And so Jesus is saying to them, look, uh, there are more important things than tithing, such as giving to the poor. You cannot exonerate yourselves from giving to the poor, from uh, helping the poor simply by giving a tithe. And here's what he says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But then listen to this. You should have practiced the latter, that is practice love and justice and mercy without, hear this, without neglecting the former. What was the former? Tithing. You see, there are important things in tithing. I can't pay money and then think that in paying money, I exempt myself from, from reaching out to those who need reaching out to. But at the same time, reaching out to others does not exempt me from being a faithful giver, giving at least a tenth, at least a tithe of my income to the Lord's work. Giving is not relegated only to the New Testament. And then number four, which I've already uh, touched on a little bit in number three, is this. Giving does not exempt a person from participating in ministry. I know some folks, you probably do too, who think if I give generously, that exempts me from working in the food pantry or being a Sunday school teacher or serving on a committee or being a helper in one of our evangelistic ministries or it exempts me from having to go on a mission trip. Listen, you don't have to do all those things, but the Lord wants us both to give generously and to minister faithfully. It's not either or, it's both and. So you see what giving is not. In 1815, Battle of Waterloo, Godfrey Davis wrote a biography of the Duke of Wellington, and he said something that I want to mention here. He said this, quote, I found an old account ledger, our our, uh, equivalent to a checkbook, and he said, I found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than the reading of all of his letters and speeches, unquote. What he's saying there is that that what we give and the way we give, what percentage we give, everything about what we give says a lot about our own spiritual condition. Our giving says some things about us. So let's talk about that. What your giving says about you, first of all, when you give generously, it says, I am grateful to God. I'm grateful to God. In the Old Testament, Abraham gave a tithe of everything that he had won in rescuing Lot. He gave a tithe to Melchizedek because he was grateful to God for his deliverance and for his blessings. Whenever I was in uh, high school, my first job that wasn't for a relative of the family was as a busboy and a waiter at the Atlanta Athletic Club. Uh, in Duluth, Georgia. Actually, they call it Johns Creek, Georgia today. But for several years, I was a busboy and a waiter. Some of the most wealthy people, some of the wealthiest people in the Atlanta area were members of the Atlanta Athletic Club. Back in the mid-70s, you had to pay uh, $5,400 just to be a member. Then you had to pay uh, $1,500 a year to keep your membership active, and that just got you in the gate. That just allowed you in the gate. Once you're in the gate, you had to pay for every meal, every uh, time on the tennis court or the golf course or in the racquetball uh, rooms. You had to pay extra for all of that stuff. And But these people were multimillionaires. Uh, dropping that kind of money even in the 70s was nothing to them But let me tell you what they would pitch a fit over, tipping the busboys. They did not like tipping the busboys. So much so that the administrators of the athletic club decided to force its members to tip when they would come and eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. And here was the tip, 25 cents per head. Did you hear that? I didn't say 15%, I said 25 cents per head. Now, in, in the 70s at the athletic club, they are, they are purchasing meals that cost anywhere from $30 to $100 per plate, and they're giving 25 cents per person at the table as a tip, which meant if you had four people there and they had $300 worth of a meal, the waiter got a buck, hello, a buck, and they didn 't like that, most of them, some of them did, some of them would tip you more, some of them were very generous, many of them were not. Now that experience with with uh, waiting tables at that place it, it taught me to be merciful toward waiters and waitresses. Uh, I, I religiously tip fifteen to twenty percent if i if 've got it. Uh, and a lot of times if I don't, to the waitress who is waiting on us at a table in a restaurant. A waitress has to be really, really bad to me for me not to tip. I've tipped people who did not deserve to be tipped simply because my heart goes out to waitresses and waiters because of my own experience. I heard about a waitress one time who approached a table where there was a young boy, a little boy, sitting by himself. Now, she knew that this boy, uh, or she assumed him being a little boy, did not have a whole lot of money, and therefore uh, he was not going to order a whole lot, and therefore even if he did tip 15%, which he probably wasn't thinking about it, she assumed, then it wouldn't be a whole lot. So she comes up to the table, and she asks the boy what he wanted, and he says, how much is an ice cream sundae? Now, I don't know if you've ever been a waiter or waitress in a place where they serve meals but also serve uh, sundaes and and desserts and so forth. The last thing you want to do at mealtime is give up 45 minutes to an hour of your table to folks who only want to order the least expensive thing on the menu. Why? Because the percentage tip on that is minuscule. Hello? Hello? Y'all are asleep, aren't you? This giving stuff just wears you out, doesn't it? Yeah. So she comes up. He says, how much is for an ice cream sundae? And she's already pretty perturbed, and she snapped at him. She said, $1.75. And so he looked at his fistful of change. She knew she wasn't going to get much then. She, she, he looked at his fistful of change, and he said, well, how much is a dish of just plain ice cream? And she said, $1.50. Shot back at him. And he said, then I'll take a dish of plain ice cream then, please. And so after some time, the waitress returned with a bowl, a small bowl of ice cream. She delivered it in rude silence, kind of just throwing it there, almost throwing it at him. And after the boy left, she went to clean the table, and to her shame, she found two dimes and a nickel left on the table for her tip, and she realized, she realized that that little boy had gotten the lesser expensive item Because $1.75 was all he had in his pocket, and the lesser expensive item enabled him to tip her 25 cents. You see, uh, here is a waitress who didn't even take good care of the needs of, of this little boy, and yet he still appreciated her. How much more... Should we show appreciation to God who takes care of us without rudeness, without shoving the dish in our faces? He is very careful to be merciful to us, to show love to us, to be good to us. How much more can we show gratitude to our Lord who watches over us? My giving says I'm grateful to God for what he's done for me. Number two, my giving says I acknowledge God's ownership of everything I have. You don't own your automobile. You don't own your home. You don't own your uh, 401K. You don't own anything you have. You don't own the clothes you are wearing, and neither do I. The Bible says that God owns everything that there is psalm 50 verses 9 through 12 god is saying he says i have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills i know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine if i were hungry i would not tell you for the world is mine and everything that's in it i heard about a pastor who went to visit one of his flock happened to be a farmer and when he was talking with the farmer, he said, I want to ask you something, Brother, Brother Jetty said, if, I, if, if you had 100 horses, would you give me 50? Would you give 50 to the church? And the farmer said, absolutely, I sure wouldn't. He said, well, if you had 100 cows, would you give us 50? And he says, I absolutely wouldn't. He says, well, if you had two pigs, would you give us one of them? He says, absolutely, I'd give you one of the pigs if I, if I had two. And the pastor said, well, if you had two donkeys, would you give us one of them? And the fellow said, no, pastor, you know I got two donkeys. Isn't it ridiculous for us to hold back, as if it's ours, what is in reality totally God's? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. Not only are your possessions not your own, you and I are not our own. When I give, I acknowledge God's ownership of everything I have. Number three, when I give, I show that I put God first in my life, at least I hope so. When I take the first fruits, the first off the top, when I give at least a tenth off the top of what God God has given me and I give it back to the Lord through the church, what I'm saying is, God, I put you absolutely first place in my life before anything else. I put you first. Some of you remember Tom Landry, the legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys. He was speaking to a group of more than 2,000 students one time at Baylor University out in Texas, and he was asked... The secret of his success. Why have you been so successful? And here's what he said. It's a quote. Quote, in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. He says, I, termi- I determined the priorities for my life. God, family, football. God, family, football. You see, our giving reveals the place God holds in our lives you want to know you want to know the place that god holds in jimmy orr's life just just take my credit card statements and take my checkbook listen i can preach a million sermons i can tell you how much i've loved the lord i can tell you how how many times i read the bible through but if you look at those financial ledgers and you can't find god there they tell more about the place of god in my life than any sermon i will ever preach I mean, when you're talking about your financial ledger, you're talking about brass tacks on where God is in your life. Number four, my giving says I trust God to help me manage what is left. I ran into folks a lot of times who says, you know, I'd love to tithe. I believe in tithing. I believe in generous giving. But I simply can't afford to do that. You can't afford not to do that. growing up in the area of churches where I did, I grew up not believing in tithing. I'd never heard it preached. It never was important to me. It never was important to the folks I had heard preached. One day I went and I was talking to a fellow. Uh, he's a, a preacher up in that area. Today he's in his, I think he's in his nineties, John Lummis, just a giant, a giant of a character of a man. Uh, John Lummis is the type of fellow when he spoke I turned my hearing aids up, baby, because I want to hear what he's got to say. And I said to him one day, I said, these folks talking about tithing, I just don't believe in that. And John, very gentle, very gentle with the young preacher boy. He says, well, he says, I do tithe. He said, the scriptures tell us to. Jesus told us to. And he said, I do. And that's all he said. He never criticized me. He didn't condemn me. He didn't come down on me for it. But his soft, gentle way of sharing with me what he did I mean it just grabbed my heart and shook all the blood out of it because I realized I had heard the truth from a man that I deeply respected. You see our giving is something that tells us not only that God is first in our lives or the place he holds in our lives but it tell whenever I give it says to God God I'm giving This amount to you, and I trust you to help me manage what is left. One of the biggest problems in America today, especially among church members, is we have gotten in such a financial mess that we have mismanaged our finances to the point that we cannot or think we cannot give anything to God. And some of you are sitting right here right now knowing that what I just said is the truth. Number five, when I give, it says that I anticipate God's blessing. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying, oh, if you tithe, you'll win. If you'll tithe today, you'll win the lottery on Tuesday. No, that's not what I said. Oh, if you tithe today, God will give you a brand-new car on Wednesday. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that when you and I are faithful givers, God will be faithful in blessing us for that gift. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and then what? That there may be food in my house Test me in this and see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room for it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure that you give, it will be given back to you. Matthew, uh, Malachi, again, chapter 3, verse 11 God, speaking through Malachi, says, if you're faithful to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he says, there there will be some things that have been devouring your income that I will hold back so that they can't devour it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines in your fields will not cast their fruit before they're ripe. God wants us to be generous givers. As church members, we're expected to be generous givers. Not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of our love for God and our desire to see what He's doing through our church accomplished. The title of this sermon is Hurt, Help, and Hallelujah. What's that got to do with giving? Here it is. You and I need to give till it hurts. Some of us are not even there yet. We need to give till it hurts. We need to give till our giving helps, and we need to give until the saints in this church shout hallelujah for the giving that is done in this place. Wouldn't it be great if people who hear about Palmetto Baptist Church outside this church, they say, you know, uh, there's not that much I've heard about that church, but one thing I have heard, I've heard that they are generous. They believe in giving. That's a very, very good reputation. I heard about a man who had a heart attack, and he was in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital recovering from the heart attack, he uh, there, there was news that a, a rich uncle of his also died and had left this man who had the heart attack with all of his estate, millions of dollars. And the family was wrestling with how exactly to uh, communicate this news to him in a way that didn't excite him so much that he had another heart attack. And so they decided to send the preacher in to tell him. I mean, who better than the preacher, right, to tell him about that? So the preacher came in, and he was talking to the man, and in the conversation he said, uh, he said hey, he said, what would you do if you inherited several million dollars? And the guy was kind of in it and kind of out of it, but he was in it enough that he could he could respond to the question. He said, "If I if I if somebody told me I was about to inherit several million dollars, I I would give half of it to the church." And the preacher just fell dead right there in the hospital. You see, my prayer for us this morning is my prayer for us is that we will become people who, when it comes to giving, will not stop at nothing. There are too many of us, ladies and gentlemen, who, when it comes to giving, we stop at nothing. Yeah. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are lots of more important things than money when it comes to a relationship with you. Eternal life, receiving you as our Savior and Lord is far more important. Being actively involved in a church, worshiping, growing, serving, those are more important. But just because giving may not be quite as important as some other things doesn't mean that you have exempted us from giving. You call us to give sacrificially, to give cheerfully, to give give expectantly, and to give uh, out of the abundance that you've given us. You call us to give till it hurts, to give till it helps somebody, to give until all the saints around us shout hallelujah for what is given. God, I pray that you would right now open up the hearts of some who are here who closed their ears at the moment the word money or giving came out of my mouth. And God, help us to step up to the plate and be faithful in our giving. We don't give so that we can be saved. We give because you have saved us in appreciation for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.